Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Alliance. And so we today are beginning a series uh, called Gospel Generosity. This is going to be an occasional series, something we come to every month, couple months or so for like a one-off sermon. And we really want to just bring to light, um, how do I say this? Finances are often a taboo topic in certain cultures. And it's not something we openly talk about, like asking people how much they make or how much their mortgage costs. Um, so, but in the scriptures, Jesus talks a lot about money. I think in his parables, something like, 16 out of 38 parables make a reference to finances. That's around 42%. And so we just want to spend time in Scripture, seeing what Jesus says about money, and letting that shape us. This isn't a series that's going to, you know, equip you to be a financial planner or crush debt or, like, you know, a campaign to raise money for the church. But it's about discipleship. It's about letting Christ shape every aspect of our life and hearing what the Scriptures have to say and responding to that. So with that said... I like to call all the kids from junior kindergarten to grade six to come on up to the front for a little time of blessing. Plus, I need your help. So kids, can you come on up? Junior kindergarten to grade six. I also need your help today, and I'm going to give you a little gift and something to do later on in the sermon. So come on, come on down. One of the reasons we love having kids in our sermon and service and being involved in the service this way is because we really value kids. If you hear a little crying today or a little Hey, like little chitter-chatter here and there. It's probably an adult, but it also could be a kid. <coughs> and it might be my kids, and that's okay. Because we, one of the things we value deeply is we love kids. We love watching kids grow, and we love kids uh, learning more about Jesus. And we firmly believe, some parents ask me, why do kids spend the first half hour in our service? Why don't they go down to Sunday school? And my simple answer is, we want them to be a part of this community this intergenerational, intercultural community. And if they live the first 17, 18 years not being involved here, what are we going to expect when they're 18? So we want them involved right from the get-go. Okay, so now kids, um, I have something for you. Who would like some money? <laughs> Caitlin, all right, all right. I actually have money for you. This is called cash. In 10 years, it'll be obsolete. Everything will be blockchain. And... So enjoy this last moment. In 10 years, I can't preach this sermon. I want you to hang on to this. If other kids want to come up too, if you're like, oh yeah, why, why didn't I come up? Feel free. If, you, if you're an adult with a young kid, you can use your kid to get $10. I want you to hang on to this. I'm going to preach. We're going to talk about some stuff. We're going to hear in the Word of God what the Word of God says. And then later on, yeah, I'm going to give the stack to Pastor Tim. So if kids need this later on, they can come on down and grab it. But I want you to listen to what the Word of God says, and later I'm going to give you a chance of how to use that money for God's kingdom, okay? So you can all go back to your seats, and I'm going to ask Elise and Sarah to come read the scriptures for us today. All right, so kids are all dismissed. and Hang on to that money. And parents, if you want your kids involved, you can just sneak down here and ask Pastor Tim, and he'll give you some money. Actually, just go to his office any day of the week. He'll give you money. <laughs> so today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not soar or weep. 
or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you have little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Hmm. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Elise, and thank you, Sarah. That's great. All right. I think in many ways as we read this passage, worry is quite natural. I mean, if you are coming to a major exam or you're about to do your driving test and your G, you know, your G has five years and you're at like four months, four years and 11 months, of course you'd be worried. If you're a millennial and you just bought a house, I hope you are worried about the mortgage that you will have to pay well past your kids' lives and your kids' kids' lives. Um, worry is kind of a natural thing to all of us in some way. I know for me, I might not be someone who projects a lot of worry, but I'm one of those, maybe you're like me, like a secret worrier. Inside your head, there's all these things going on, all these wheels spinning, but outside you're like, I'm calm, I'm good. <laughs> I, I worry about a lot of things. I worry about the future, I worry about money, I worry about my kids and what they're learning. I worry about the state of our city. Well, I worry about the world and what is happening there. And I worry about some of the people in my life, especially those relationships that aren't going as well as I'd hoped they'd go. I don't know what it'd be for you. Maybe it's school, maybe it's exams. I know a lot of you, a lot of people, some of you are like, yes, school starts in two days, woo! You know, there's like three of you in this room. The rest of you maybe are just feeling a little sick in your tummy. It's kind of a tough time of year. I know for teachers, last week's kind of a tough time of year, just getting back into the groove and getting ready uh, to go back to school. And there's a little bit of worry and a little bit of angst. Maybe it's your future, maybe it's your kids, your grandkids, maybe it's your aging parents, your spouse, your business, your career, your home, or just the different relationships as well as our city and, our, and what's going on in our city and our country and our world. I think all of us in some way, we worry. And yet today as we come face to face with the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, I think the scripture and the word of God has so much to teach us about how to deal with worry and how to worry less by changing our focus. So with that, if you brought your Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you have it on your phone, you can flip it open there. If you're new, feel free or forgot your Bible, feel free to grab one of these blue Bibles in the row in front of you and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 6 on page 787. What we're going to do is we have about 10 verses in this section. We're going to read a verse or two, talk about it, and then come back to it. 
I'm just going to set this up. This will come into, into light later on, these pretty little birdhouses. So you can stare at my beautiful little dollar store birdhouses. So, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, let me begin us. Therefore, okay, let's just stop right there. We're, we're, gonna, we're not going to go this slowly. Don't worry. Don't panic. But I think, you know, that, what's that cheesy line? When you see a therefore, you have to ask, why is it therefore? Uh, but it's true. And it's a really important thing to notice. Actually, some of you might be like, hey, we're doing a series on gospel generosity. But that whole passage was about worry. How does that connect? And actually, if you look at the previous section, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, you will see how this relates to money. Jesus is teaching his people. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first big teaching block in the book of Matthew. And he's got like three whole chapters. There's famous passages in here like the Beatitudes, like the Lord's Prayer, and many other things. It's one of the richest passages of Scripture that's fed my soul over the years. Yet in the previous section, Jesus is telling people, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's teaching them, for where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. Where you put your money and what you value with your money, that's what you care about the most. And he's teaching them, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. He's teaching them, you can't store up treasures here on earth, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You can't serve two masters. And that following Jesus doesn't set money against God, but involves making a choice who your priority or who your allegiance is to the things money can get you, or how Jesus will provide. Money and God aren't in opposition in this text. For example, I love the Toronto Blue Jays. I love my family. I went to my first Jays game on Tuesday. I watched Josh Donaldson's first game back in Toronto and gave him a round, warm, round, warm round of applause. Yet if someone said, Tim, I'd love to send you to 81 ball games this year free of charge, I think I would say no thank you, if I do that, my wife will kill me, with three kids at home every night by herself under the age of four. It's not that I don't like the Blue Jays. I'm just choosing the more important priority. And Jesus is saying the same thing with money. God and money, it's, it's about who is the boss here. Is God shaping your view of money, or is money hindering or shaping how you see God and limiting how you see God? Money isn't inherently evil or bad. It just can't be your priority over God. And there's something interesting in the previous passage, and I didn't notice it until I was kind of looking at it. But he's talking to people of privilege. He's talking to people who have the ability to make money uh, bigger than God. That's not people who are just striving to get by. That's people who have the choice to use their money in this way. Yet then Jesus turns from that position and starts talking to those who are just trying to get by in verse 25. Let's read along. Let's read along. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? 
simply put, Jesus all of a sudden goes from talking to those who have money to those who are just trying to survive. Those who are worried about whether they have enough food or drink just to survive the day. I don't know, maybe the modern equivalent today would be, do I have enough money to cover my rent, to cover tuition this upcoming week? Maybe it's, do I have enough money to just fill up my tank, live in retirement, or even just pay my childcare bills? Jesus is switching gear to talk to those who lack privilege and to be trapped by money. And he goes on to give two different examples. He's saying, do not worry about what you will eat, drink, or wear. He uses two examples, one involving birds and one involving the flowers. In verse 26, if we continue, it reads, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The birds don't strive like we do. They don't store in barns for years and decades. Uh, they don't worry about earthquakes, famines, I don't know, zombie apocalypses, all these things that people worry about. But they just kind of get enough to survive. They don't punch the clock for 40 hours. They don't contribute to their TSFAs or plan for the future. There's kind of a subtle assumption here about birds <laughs> in this text. And it takes us back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Um, I'm going to ask the kids. This is your chance to yell out loud in church. You ready? Uh, what book of the Bible have we been studying all summer? Do we have a brave soul? I see the whispering. Yes, Genesis. Thank you. <laughs> We've been studying Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, God created... Yeah, the heavens and the earth. And in chapter 2, he creates who? Adam and Eve. Excellent. And in chapter 3, what happens? The fall of man. Yes, this is great. Chapter 1, he creates the entire universe. He creates the heavens, the earth. He creates the waters. He creates the galaxies and all the plants. He creates everything mesmerizing that flies and swims and crawls on the land. And then he gets to the last point of his creation. He, and begins, and so begins humankind. We see in Genesis that God created humans as the pinnacle of his creation, as the last thing that he created. And God is saying, and the hearers of this time would have totally heard this, if God can provide for the birds, he can provide for humankind as well, who are the pinnacle of his creation. If God can provide for the birds, he can also provide for humankind. In verse 27, Jesus points out something that's become very obvious to us today. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Is, has any of you, like, know people who worry and live longer? If anything, worry is directly linked to dying sooner. It's connected to so many uh, ulcers and heart disease and many other things. Worrying for itself doesn't get us very far. And then Jesus goes on to use a second example in verses 28 to 30. We can read along here. After talking about the birds and that he'll provide for them, he says in verse 28, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these ones. I think part of me thinks, wow, this is easy to say or easy to see. 
but it's different when you're just trying to survive and get by. Jesus is saying, if these beautiful flowers of the field do nothing and still look better than anything in creation, <laughs> will not our God who created human beings in his image make sure we have the clothes we need? I've had the privilege of traveling and seeing some really beautiful things across the globe. Yet, I don't think in my life I've ever seen like a Kate Spade purse or a Prada bag or like a Fendi backpack and was like, wow, that is more beautiful than Mount Fuji. I'd rather stare at that than the Tetons for two weeks. <laughs> Maybe you love your Kate Spade backpack. Or it's all good. It's all great. <laughs> but... The lesson here is simple. From the two examples of the birds and flowers of this is this. If God cares for the flowers and the birds, he will take care of man, humankind as well, who is the pinnacle of his creation. If he cares for the flowers and the birds, he will take care of humankind as well, who is the pinnacle of his creation. Yet, there's those words in verse 30 that always kind of jar me. <laughs> this passage seems very encouraging. Don't worry. It sounds like an encouraging passage. And then it ends up in verse 30 with, you of little faith, you who don't trust. And I remember the first time I were hearing this, like the words just stick out, out to me because it sounds so different from the tone of the rest of the message. But I actually think it flows really well. And it's a great reminder. Quite frankly, I know for myself, I often fail to see the connection between faith and worry. But Jesus is making that connection really clear. When I catch myself worrying if we'll have enough money to fix our car that broke down again, or will we have enough to cover this expense for the kids, or this for school, I find that deep down inside, if I really am honest, I'm doubting whether God will provide for us. when I worry about friends or family, people not walking with Jesus, broken marriages, I think if I ask myself deep down, my worry is, God, are you really at work here? Are you really at work in our country, in the lives of my friends? Like, what's happening? Why all this brokenness? Sometimes, you know, when you pour your soul out to a good friend and you tell them all your worries, They'll often say, don't worry, things will be fine. Oh, um, I have a hard time with that piece of advice because my, my question is, why? Why will it be fine? How do you know? Are you God? How do you know these things? I know the sentiment is beautiful, but I think it's more helpful to remind others and ourselves when we are worried. It isn't to tell us not to worry, but it's to help people see that Jesus is worthy of greater trust. Paint a bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he can do. Amen? Verse 31 and verse 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples and anyone who would listen, many of them 
who are farmers and not considered rich, his words of encouragement are really simple. Don't worry about the basics. That's it's crazy to think about. <laughs> about your food, about your clothing, about your water, the things that if you don't get, you will literally not survive. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Place your faith in the God who can provide. There is also another little subtle reminder in here as well. The pagans or the people of this world or whatever term you would like to use there only have this world to worry about. So they would worry about retirement, a life, and just even pleasure and just this life in itself. And quite frankly, if all there was to this world is if we were only nothing, if we were nothing but matter and this world was all that there was, then please use your money to do whatever you want to do because life has no meaning or no value. It's whatever you make it. But that's not what the scripture teaches. That's not what Jesus teaches. He points us to a life past this life, eternal life. He points us to the fact that this life is ever so valuable and ever so important. Because there's an eternity and what we do now can shape that, use your wealth and resources and spend in light of the kingdom of God that is already here in this world but won't be fully realized until Jesus returns. And then I think we come to the, if you're going to memorize any verse from today, it's verse 33. And let's just read what it says in verse 33 and 4. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. <laughs> I love that verse 34. But verse 33, let's see. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you. Jesus is teaching his people about the kingdom of God, how God's kingdom is breaking into this world, how it is, what is truly peace, how it ends all wrongs, and how it brings forth true justice, how Jesus is the only hope for humankind. You see, in the beginning, and this is what we've been studying downstairs in Genesis, God created the world. He created humankind, but we chose to go our own way, which is what the Bible calls sin. Yet Jesus, God in his great love, pursued us over and over and over, even though we kept turning our backs on him. And over and over again, he kept calling out to us. And when we chose sin, consequent was death, eternal separation from God. Yet God in his great mercy sent his son, Jesus, born, lived a perfect life, and when he died on the cross, he carried upon himself all our sins. So that when he died, he rose on the third day and took the punishment for us and opened a way for us to be restored in our relationship to God. And without that, we don't have hope. That is the Christian hope. And then he sent his spirit into the world and called his part people to participate in his mission. Sometimes we call this the great commandment, the great commission, amongst many others. Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 8. And to seek his kingdom and righteousness means to participate in his mission. It means to serve the poor. It means to love our neighbor. It means to take this good news, hope, to all the ends of the earth, the marginalized, welcoming the newcomer and allowing the spirit of God to transform us, to equip us to do his work. When we follow what Jesus says here, 
He tells us that our basics, our food, our drink, and clothing will be provided for. Isn't that a crazy promise? Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and what you need will be given to you. As I was preparing the sermon, uh, I realized how much I was worrying, which is kind of ironic when you're preaching a sermon about do not worry. I was worrying about silly things, even like, what will people think of this sermon? Will this make any sense? Will they want to fire me after this? Uh, like, this, all these thoughts are kind of going through the back of my mind. How inarticulate will I be? And when I started worrying about that, my mind was focused on what? Worry, performance, those sort of things. Yet, then I started thinking about how I could call the kids to participate in God's work in the world and what God is doing. And I stopped thinking about myself. I started thinking about what God could do. The solution to worry is to raise our eyes upon, to look to Jesus and participate in what he is doing in the world. And when that happens, it's not like our worries are gone or forgotten. But we get a new focus and a new life. We see them in light of eternity, in light of an all-powerful God who created the world and has called us to participate with his work in the world. Yes, those worries will still be there. Yes, those things will still have to be dealt with. But wow, the perspective looks so much different, doesn't it? When we lift our eyes and look beyond our worries to God's work in the world, and participating with him, it's like a weight is almost lifted off us. Think about this. This passage is sitting in Matthew chapter 6. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus does shares a text that's probably very common to those of us who grew up in church. It's the Lord's Prayer. And this is the Lord's Prayer. And if you know the Lord's Prayer, just join me as we read the first half of the Lord's Prayer out loud. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. I, yeah, we, I, I'll we'll just focus on the first half of the Lord's Prayer. I think there's three main sections. Do you see something there? This, this Lord's Prayer is just before this passage, several verses before. And if I was to summarize it, I would simply say, praise God. Seek his kingdom and righteousness, and what you need will be provided for you. This passage is an expansion of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise be to you, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Father, let us participate with what you are doing in this world. And Father, you know what? We trust that you'll provide what we need. Let me explain to you my prayer life uh, half the time. Oh, God, thank you. You're great. Lord, there's so many needs in my life. I'm worried about my car, my car. I just go from like, I dip into number one and dive into number three. Yet this is the call of the gospel. This is the call of Jesus, is to seek his kingdom and righteousness, and it puts all our daily needs into perspective. Jesus is literally saying, Come to me, focus upon me, align your heart with my heart, and you will find that I will take care of you. 
Come to me, focus upon me, align your heart with my heart, and you will find that I will take care of you. At this time, I want to invite all the kids who have $10 bills to come up. And now, if you didn't come up at the beginning, you're more than welcome to come up and ask Pastor Tim for $10. <laughs> and so, kids, I want you to come up. I just want to, sh I have a bunch of things that I have here for you. So I invite all the kids in junior kindergarten to grade six to come on up. These are several different ways you can be involved in God's work in the world. All right? And you can pick these sheets up. You can read them. You can look at them. The older kids can help the younger kids read if need be. But there's several different things. There's involved in, like, welcoming new immigrants to Canada and refugees to Canada. This one is uh, our Global Advance Fund, which we support many workers across the world sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, I have a picture of Albert and Elaine, because many of the kids will know um, Elise, Liana, and Nathaniel, as well as Dave and Kristen's to Mercy and Hudson, who are serving in Taiwan, bringing the good news of Jesus there. This one right here, that this one right here that you're holding, that's about helping moms and babies who, uh, in all over the world who just need medical support and help. And then this one here, this beautiful picture, is just about digging wells and providing fresh water. That's especially important alongside with this one that's sending girls to school because so many young girls are marginalized, they have to collect for their family. And they're the ones who miss going to school. So even those wells provide them an opportunity to get an education. This one right here, this is about food shortage. So many people in the world don't have what they need to survive. And so you can look over these, make a deal with your friend. I'll do 10 here, you do 10 here. These are our favorite two. And then you can put it inside the, whichever bird box you want. And we're going to make a donation on your behalf. Even parents afterwards, I encourage you to come up and ask your kids, where did they put their money? And take a little picture of that. One of the things we do with our kids is we ask them, um, we give them, we go online and we pick a couple different causes and they pick it. And so my child, one of my child, children from the age of like two was able to say the word Nicaragua because he would pray for the mummies and babies in Nicaragua. And he'd pray for the kids who don't have school supplies and the girls uh, who don't have any water. And so you can go around, you can look, and whenever you find, feel like it, you can put your money wherever you want to. And I'll start. I'll lead the way here. I'll need $10, Pastor Tim. Thank you. Okay. And you can pick your favorite cause or something that you're passionate about, and you can put it in there. And for the rest of us, as the kids just keep mulling around and looking at that, I'll just share a few words. When I worry about money, I think of myself and my family and my family's needs, and I hoard my money. I keep it to myself. When I use my money for God, which is God's gift to me in the first place, and I use it for his kingdom purposes, I don't worry about myself as much. Obviously, there's a line of responsibility. You know, don't give away so much that you can't feed your kids tonight. Don't call your landlord and say, Pastor Tim said, I need to help out with these wells so I can't pay my rent. There's obviously a tension to be found there. But I think here's the main point. When you're worried give. Participate in God's work in the world and trust God to provide your need. Make your priority your focused participation in his kingdom work and you will notice that you aren't focused on yourself. Pray that Lord's prayer, praising God, seeking his kingdom and trusting him that he will provide for your needs and watch what God does. Watch how he transforms your heart. You might not get that Lambo you always wanted 
But God will provide you what you need, and your heart will be filled with joy as you participate in his work in the world. So kids, once you've decided what you want to do, you can feel free to go back and sit down with your parents. And we're just going to kind of go over some application for the sermon today. Thank you so much. As we kind of wrap up, there's just kind of three points I want to bring to light before the worship team comes on up. Number one, and they come straight from our texts. Verse 33, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these will be given to you. What is your priority? What is my priority? What is our focus of our life? Is it upon what we need or what our family needs, what our kids need, what our parents need? Or is it upon God's work in the world? Sometimes those aren't mutually exclusive. They work well together. But who is our priority toward? Number two. Verse 34, it says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I heard kind of a generalization one time put, if depression is past focus, anxiety is future focus, and I know when I feel anxious, I start thinking about the future and all the things I need to do, and I make lists, and I try to conquer that and get that all done. Yet the gift of focusing upon his kingdom is that we get to be in the present. It keeps us focused here and now on what God is doing in the world. When we lift our eyes off our needs of that importance and turn them toward God's work and us participating with him, we're fully here right now. And that is a gift, especially in this day and age. If verse 33 is our priority of seeking his kingdom, if verse 40, 34 is our gift of being fully present, Verse 31 and 32 are a witness to the world. I remember this one time. I must have been younger than I am right now. Um, and my parents have a friend, a family friend. My parents had taught me from a very young age just how to give and be generous with wealth. And, and so but we went one of our friends, and he's a guy who had nothing, and now he's a financial planner and six digits and all this sort of stuff. I went with him for financial advice. Seems like a smart person to ask. And he sat down with me. He's like, Tim, the first thing you need to do with your paycheck is take this off and save. And like an arrogant young kid, I'm like, well, my parents always taught me the first thing I'm supposed to do is give to God's work. And he kind of just looks at me. I think he would have objected, but he respected my dad too much. And so he didn't say anything. But I realized from that, how we spend our money is countercultural. What we do with our lives is countercultural. If the first piece of what we have is given to God, that's not what people do. If all there is to this world is the material, we eat, we die, and then there's nothing, then of course focus on yourself. But there is so much more to life than that. Imagine if our kids caught this vision, if they became passionate about sending kids to school, participating with God's work by sharing the gospel all throughout the world, welcoming new families to Canada. You know when kids get passionate about something? It sticks for the whole family. And when young people get passionate about something, it stays with them for the rest of their lives. This is my prayer for our church and our community. I pray that we will be more passionate about God's work in the world than anything else.
I pray that we will raise generation upon generation and be the generation that is passionate about God's work in the world. And you know what? When we give, when we serve, you're going to get those blank weird stares like from my financial planner. But that's a good thing because that will be our witness in this world that we are different and God is using us in crazy, amazing ways. So my blessing to you as the worship team comes up right now is that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the rest will be provided unto you. Amen.